right, so we are in Romans chapter 11. That's where we're going to be starting tonight and kind of picking up where we left off this morning. This morning we talked about the preserved words of God. God promised in Psalms 12 that he would preserve his words. We have something that we can count on, something that we can always trust, something that is accurate. And we know that there is something out there because God promised that he would do this, that he would preserve his word. Now, we have the position here that this King James Bible is in fact a perfect translation of the Word of God, and therefore it is in fact the Word of God. It's the inspired words of God. We trust it in everything we do. Now, there's a lot of opposition to that, like we talked about this morning. A lot of people who doubt that, and whenever they are kind of attacking our position, a lot of times there's a lot of strawman arguments that come up. And a lot of times, too, though, even what I would call strawman arguments, they're not completely baseless arguments because there are a lot of King James only people who say a lot of dumb stuff to try to advance King James onlyism. And we need to watch out for that. Uh, we want to try to avoid as much of that as possible. But like one of the things that you might have heard preachers say this before is like, you know, if I believe, didn't believe we had a perfect word of God, I'd hang it up right now and I'd go get me a job, you know, selling cars or something. Okay, well... What about countries where they don't have a perfect word of God? Does that mean God did not keep his word because they don't have something like that? And, you know, so should all those preachers just quit? You know, I think that would still be wrong. I think even if this Bible, if we didn't have a perfect translation, you know what I think we should do? I think we should still work with what we've got to the best of our ability. Okay, because again, what people, it's then what the other side ends up doing is they'll start saying, you know, what about people in other countries? What about people who don't speak English? And then, well, I think that they ought to just learn English. Okay, well, then why can't, then why would it be wrong for someone to say, well, you have to learn Greek and you have to learn Hebrew to fully understand the Bible. So what's going on here? You know, do you believe the Bible got inspired again when they translated it in 1611? And I don't believe that. I just think they translated it right. That, that's what I believe. And therefore, uh, you know, any language that translates the Bible accurately, it's going to be inspired. But obviously, I don't think that that's the case in every country. And definitely throughout time, there has not always been a perfect Bible. There was not always a perfect Bible in the English language. So... God wasn't failing to keep his promise during those times. And God's not failing to keep his promise, uh, you know, in other countries right now and amongst people in other languages. But at the same time, if you acknowledge all that, then people are going to ask, well, then what's so special about the King James Bible? What's so special about the English language? Why is that? You know, why is it that you guys have a perfect Bible and all these countries don't have a perfect Bible? And if you're saying God had to give you a perfect English Bible, then why doesn't he have to give every language a perfect Bible? And I think those are legitimate questions, and that's what I want to kind of talk about today. And I think in order to understand why English, why God's given us something so special in English, I think it will help if we understand a very difficult passage in Romans chapter 11 that 
And I think this is an important argument the King James only crowd need to understand. And most of them are never going to be able to use this to help themselves out because they're wrong on, wrong on Romans 11. They don't know how to interpret Romans 11. And so they're losing, I think, a very uh, good argument to kind of help make a case for the significance of the King James Bible. And so uh, in Romans 11... Before we get into the scriptures here in Romans 11, one thing we need to remember, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are all about Israel. It's all about Israel's salvation. It's all about how, uh, you know, Paul said in Romans chapter 9, he could wish himself accursed for his brethren according to the flesh. However, it didn't matter. God had chosen the physical seed for destruction, and that's exactly what is going to happen to them. And so in Romans 11, he's showing, though, individuals can still be saved. They're not cast away. They're not reprobate. Proof was that Paul was of Israel and that he was saved. And there's, there was still a remnant of people. So he wants to make it clear he's not contradicting what he said in Romans 10 when he said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jews can too. They can be grafted back in to their olive tree. But... I want us to start in verse 11. Because okay? remember, Israel, they messed up. Not in just their rejecting of the gospel, but Israel, and, and obviously that was the biggest thing that they did that got them in so much trouble is their rejection of the gospel. But understand, as stewards of the oracles of God, God had committed the things of God to Israel. They failed across the board we talked a lot about that when we went through the stories of Jesus' triumphal entry, when we preached through the book of Mark. Mark covers these things really well. Unfortunately, these things aren't preached in most IV churches because they're wrong in Israel. But we preach, we, you know, we preach these things here. But notice in verse 11 of Romans 11, it says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So, when Israel not only rejected the gospel, but failed in doing what they had been called to do and being ministers of that, it kind of, you could say, opened up an opportunity for the rest of the world to take up a torch and be that light. And, and the people who pick up this mantle are going to be a very blessed people. Because here's what you got to understand. This is where we get confused a little bit because we're in this church age, which is all that we've known where we don't have an earthly headquarters anymore, okay? where we don't have an earthly temple anymore that we all have to go to. Geographically speaking, the church can go wherever it wants. Okay? We can, and we have local churches all over the world today. And so some things change there. But at one time, all these things belonged to Israel. If you wanted to participate in the things of God, you had to go to Israel. That was the way, that was the way things worked. Today, you know, God, uh, he used his people, the Jews, the Hebrews. The, the scriptures were originally written, the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language. They were the ministers of those things, but they failed. They messed up. They rejected. And God's still going to use the people. God's still going to use somebody to get the gospel out. And let me tell you, a nation that is promoting the gospel or Abraham's seed is going to be very blessed. Because who is Abraham's seed? Jesus Christ, according to Galatians 3. 
Okay, they if any nation that is promoting Jesus Christ, that is blessing the world through Jesus Christ, that God's going to do something good for those people. God's going to bless those people. Verse twelve says, "Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness?" For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. So Paul, even though he understands, I'm not getting my nation back to God. This, country, this nation that I used to be a part of, who possessed the things of God, where it was kind of headquarters, they're not coming back. That nation is going to be destroyed. Paul understood that, but it didn't stop him from trying to reach individuals. And so when he would see other Jewish brethren, he'd see those people, he'd have a love for them, and he'd try to win them to Christ. And aren't we the same way when it comes to America? Folks, I don't think America has a great future. But it doesn't stop me from looking at people in this country and saying, you know what, I'd like to get that one saved. I'd like to get these ones saved. Why? Because there's always going to be a remnant, even in America. And any country somebody has a burden for, missionaries that have burdens to other countries, they're not really looking to try to, you know, get that country to become this wonderful theocracy or something like that. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to reach a remnant. And that's kind of how it is in in every country. So in chapter 9, even though Paul hasn't given up on them as individuals, he did understand that God had given up on them as a nation. And it says in Romans 9, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption. Okay, pertaineth means it was made for. Okay, it was was designed for them. And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Everything that we see in those scriptures, it was all made for Israel. God made it for them. God gave that law to Israel as a people. And even the new covenant, the new covenant was one that God gave to Israel. Now, people get confused because it includes all the Gentiles and they and so they see it as not something for Israel. But no, it was because even under the old covenant, Israel was still supposed to be being a light to the world. People were supposed to be coming to them. Uh, during that time, they failed in that area. And so, but under that new covenant, it made it possible for all Jews and Gentiles. It was the new covenant was the effective one that actually got something done that actually did end up reaching the Gentiles. But the Jews, they, they rejected it. They threw it away. They did. They threw away their inheritance, something that was made for them. So in verse 15, I mean, so really in a perfect world, and I get it. We don't live in a perfect world. God saw this coming, but you need to understand this. In a perfect world, Israel should have been the main source for getting the gospel out. They should have been the main people. The Jewish people should have been the main people evangelizing the world, turning the world upside down, getting the job done. But you know what Paul said? They're enemies of the gospel. But they should have been. It should have been them. It was made for them. It was designed for them. It would be like if I, for example, 
you know, I, I built some great business and it was my desire to give that business to my son. My, you know, both my sons. I wanted to give, I, I built this for them. I want them to have this. I want it to be an inheritance for them. But then they just said, I don't want it. And they walked away from it. And then I ended up giving it to somebody else who isn't my relative. You know, it was, it was meant for them. I wanted them to have it, but they threw it away. And now someone who it really wasn't my desire that they have, they now have it instead. And that's kind of what happened with Israel. God wanted them to be the ones getting this, not just, not just getting salvation, folks, but being the ministers of the gospel, spreading the light to the world. God wanted to be them, but you know what? Instead, they became enemies. And it would be like if I had that business Say I was, you know, selling shoes or something, and not only did they reject the business I gave them, but then they went and worked for my competition instead. That, you know that you know, that would feel make me feel pretty bad as a father. You know, I built this for you. I did all this for you, and that shoe company you're deciding you're going to work for it's going out of business. And it would be it would be very disappointing as a father. But we need to understand what the church is, what the church does. God wanted Israel doing all these things and kind of being in the main place, but they, they didn't do it. They threw it away. And you know what they did? They lost the kingdom. And it says in, back in Romans 11, verse 15, for it says, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And the root, if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and now being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not, thyself, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Now, I want us to think about this for a minute. When he's telling us not to boast against the branches, because we're about to go into a passage that a lot of people use to prove you can lose your salvation. And when you look at this, if you are not paying very close attention to the context and what Paul is talking about, I can see why somebody might get the idea you could lose your salvation from this passage. But if we, if we stay focused on what Paul is dealing with, then we'll understand, obviously this verse is not teaching, you can lose your salvation. But this phrase, when he says, boast not against the branches, okay, referring to the ones that were broken off, all right, those Jewish branches that were broken off, he says not to boast against them. Okay? Now, now why? Because this, this isn't just about getting saved. Because this is about, if this is about getting saved, you know, why would anybody boast? Remember what Paul said? It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, we saw earlier in Romans where he says, where is boasting? It is excluded. Okay? Now, but I don't believe what he's talking about here is the same type of boasting, like those who might boast in their salvation and the fact that they earned it or worked for it. I think they already understand there's nothing to boast about when it comes to your salvation, okay? Because he's, in those other passages, he's telling lost people or saved people, you know, not to boast, okay? But notice this, in verse 19, he says, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear." For if God spare not the natural branches, that's the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee. So wait a minute. I mean, 
That means you can lose your salvation right there. I mean, if God broke off the natural branches, the Jews, and we were grafted in. Now, how did we get grafted in? We got grafted in through faith, right? When we got saved. So, if that's the case, then how can we get broken off again? Unless you can lose your salvation. Because I submit to you that we can get broken off. But I don't believe Because this isn't just about salvation. This is what you've got to understand. This is not just about salvation. So, let, let's keep reading. Because what Paul's doing here, Paul's dealing with the fact that God is no longer using a nation that he once was. God's not using Israel like he did at one time. He once was using them greatly, and God was once, at one time using them exclusively. Okay? But then in Romans 3, look at what it says. Romans 3, verse 1, you have to turn there, but it says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So did you know that the Jews had a great advantage? Well, and of course they had a great advantage. God gave them his word. God sent prophets to Israel. God sent his son to Israel. So you know what? If you wanted to get saved, you had a much better chance in those days if you were of Israel than if you were of any other country. They had a huge advantage. And that's another thing we often look at too. Oh, you know, what about China? What about these other countries that are really dark? These people are at a huge disadvantage. And you know what? They are at a huge disadvantage. We live in America where there's churches all over the place. The gospel's being preached all over the place. And you know what? We have an advantage. And you know what? I say, I thank God I was born in America. I thank God for that because it is, it's very dark. Everybody has this attitude. There's got to be this equal playing field across the board when it comes to situation and everything. No, there doesn't. It, that, that's not the case. That is not how it is. The Jews had an advantage. During that time. Because unto them were committed the oracles of God. They had it. The things of God, the oracles of God, it was theirs. And not only that, the elements, the rudiments, those things were theirs. Those, the, the temple, it was theirs. Those practices were theirs. It belonged only to the Levites. Other countries couldn't say, you know what, I like what they're doing over there. We're going to go build us a temple. We're going to get us our own Levites. That wouldn't have done anything. God wouldn't have blessed that at all. God, God would have had nothing to do with that. So you better believe they had an advantage. But you know what? They lost that position. Israel lost that position. And so here, what we've got to understand is Paul, Paul's dealing with this, all right? And, and let me ask you this question. What language were the oracles of God written in? Hebrew, right? Why? Because that's the language they spoke. The people, the nation that God used, they spoke Hebrew. So naturally, those things were all written in Hebrew. Our King James Bible, it was translated from the Hebrew. In fact, that's one of the main reasons the Apocrypha is not in our King James Bible and why the King James translators, when they originally wrote it, they put it separate. They didn't mix it in with the Old Testament like in the Catholic Bible. They put it in its own section is like a reference just like they did with their family trees and on their maps and all their other things they did it like that because for the old testament they had a rule you know they had to be translated from the hebrew and the apocrypha it all came from the septuagint that was all written in greek so they didn't they didn't include that 
uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the King James Bible, and we don't recognize the Apocrypha as Scripture today because of that. So, again, so the oracles of God were written in Hebrew. So now let me ask you another question. What language was all the New Testament written in? Greek. It was originally written in Greek. Our King James Bible, it was translated from the Greek. Now let me ask you, why did God change on that? Why did God go from Hebrew to Greek? Can anybody think of why God would have used Greek instead of Hebrew during that time? Hebrew was the main, or not Hebrew, Greek was like the world language during that time. It was, it was the main language used. Um, and, and during this time, when the gospel went out there in the first century, we need to understand there was not one single nation that was being used of God when it came to the advancing of the gospel. But God was using people from all over the world instead of Jews and Israel. And so because of this, it would be very easy for Christians in Rome who God is now using in a great way. It would be, you know, unlike Israel, it would be easy for them to start looking at themselves and start getting high-minded. And so, and, and I don't know what all was going on in Rome during that time, but you know what? Let me ask you another question. I don't think this is a matter of opinion. I think this is a matter of fact. But what country would you say is doing more to advance the gospel than any other country today? I think it's pretty safe to say America. You know, when I talk to people who are Baptists in other countries, and I talk to them about the churches that they go to in other countries, if they have, anytime I, and I talk to people from a lot of different countries, if, when I talk to these people, if they have a good church that they're going to that's a fundamental Baptist church, and I'll ask about the pastor, he's almost always from America. He's almost always a missionary from America. Okay? You know, they're, he's, they're not from Timbuktu. They're not from China. They're definitely not from Israel. I've never met anybody like that. That that originated from... And I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there's a Canadian missionary in a foreign country somewhere. I'm sure there's somebody from England serving the Lord in Africa. I'm sure... But but even even with that, those are all English-speaking countries. How many people from any other country that speaks a different language is sending missionaries out like they are from the English-speaking countries. It's just, it's not something that we're seeing. And so, um, so the thing is, it would be very easy for us as English-speaking people, as Americans, to look at ourselves and say, you know what? We're going to be all right. God's going to keep blessing this country. We're doing more to advance the gospel than any other country, hey, I wouldn't get too lifted up about that. Because you know what? There was another country that God was using in a great way one time too, Israel. And you know what? He's not using them anymore. They got broke off as a nation. You want to know another country that was greatly used of God for a long time? And there's been, there's been many where great things have happened, but England. I mean, you know, England, you could probably give a lot of the credit for how things are in America, not be, you know, for, because of preachers from England and the influence that they had on this country. But you know what? Is that happening today? 
I guarantee you, if, if, chances are, if you're going to find a good church in England, a good fundamental Baptist church is probably going to have an American missionary there or somebody that was trained by an, Amer- uh, an American pastor or American missionary. Because I'm telling you, that country has really gone downhill. It's pretty horrible. And so in Rome, I don't know how big this church was and what all was going on, but at one time in Rome, they've got a church that's there and they're doing the work of the Lord. All of a sudden now, these people who, you know, at one time, if they would have been looking for some light, and they probably weren't before, they'd had to go to Jerusalem. Now, God is doing a work right there in Rome and these people are looking... Get look at themselves and thinking, man, we're the new people of God. We're the ministers of God. God, you know, the oracles of God, they belong to us. We're the ones that are able to baptize people. We're the ones that are spreading the gospel and doing all these things. Look at us. And so Paul is warning them and telling them, hey, don't you go boasting against the branches. You know what? Israel couldn't handle it, but we're handling it. Boy, Israel messed up big time. But we're doing pretty good. Hey, you know what? Israel had some good periods of time in their history too. But you know what? It didn't last forever. They end up getting in trouble. So when I believe when Paul is saying here that, uh, you know, be, uh, talking about how God might not spare you, I think what he's referring to is being not just a part of the olive tree and being a part of salvation, but being a part of the kingdom of God, being used in that kingdom. Because you know too, you can be saved and be doing nothing for the cause of Christ. You could be doing nothing to advance the kingdom of God, even though you're saved. There's a lot of saved people that have done absolutely nothing and have never gotten one person saved, never even contributed to getting one person saved. And that's, that's not a good thing. That's a terrible thing. So he's warning them here about this. Now, and so I believe one of the reasons that God... Uh, is again blessing America is because we've accepted the gospel, we've advanced the gospel, and so uh, let's let's read a little bit more of uh, Romans chapter eleven. Where where did I leave off? Verse twenty-two. So it says, "Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness." If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. So again, this is not talking about losing your salvation if you don't continue in your goodness. No, if we as a church, okay, I believe God is using this church in this community. But if we do not continue to do good, if we live wicked as, as a church, if we start teaching false doctrine, if we're not faithful to the things that God has called, you know what? God can cut off this church. God could cut us off as, as, a, as a people, as a church, and we will not be used anymore. We will no longer partake in the fatness of the olive tree. We will not be the ones advancing that kingdom. And you know what God's going to do? God's going to use somebody else. And let me tell you something. There's always going to be somebody that God's using. There's always going to be somebody out there being a light. I want God to be using us. And so this warning, it's not to an individual that, you know, that show, to show he can lose a salvation, but it's to a people so they can understand God can cut them off. America, we don't have any promise of preservation in the Bible. We don't. And so verse 23 says, and they also 
If they abide not still in unbelief, shall be graft in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be graft into their own olive tree? So he's making it clear these people can still be grafted back into their olive tree and they can be used again. They can be a part of the people of God. They can be a part of that kingdom. But this is not a reference to an entire nation coming back, which is how a lot of people interpret this. And proof of that is Romans 9, where Paul made it very clear, they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. So while the nation as a whole is never going to come back, they're never going to be that, those people that God uses, that doesn't mean if somebody is from there that they can't get saved and get grafted back into that, in that, into that olive tree. Because so, again, and there's always going to be Jews that have been grafted into that olive tree because of the fact that there's always a remnant like Paul talked about. So Paul's, he's also wanting to make sure that those who feel like they are the new nation that God is using, that they don't get lifted up with pride because they can be replaced too, just like Israel was. And so Greek, and here's the thing, Greek-speaking people were eventually replaced. Okay, anybody, anybody ever met a missionary from Greece? Or from any Greek-speaking country? No, it's not happening. They're not being used anymore. And I'm not, I'm not a Greek history expert. I don't know what happened to the, you know, the nation, uh, the language, how that all fell apart. But in ancient Greek, uh, the, the ancient Greek language, uh, in various dialects, the language of the archaic and classical periods of the ancient Greek civilization, it was widely known throughout the Roman Empire. Ancient Greek fell into disuse in Western Europe in the Middle Ages, but remained officially in use in the Byzantine world and was reintroduced to the rest of Europe with the fall of Constantinople and Greek migration to Western Europe. So it used to be something known throughout the Roman Empire because not long before that, the Greeks had taken over the world. And But again, why did God originally use the Greek? Well, during antiquity... Greek was by far the most widely spoken language. It was the lingua franca in the Mediterranean world. It, and it officially, officially became the official language of the Byzantine Empire and then developed into medieval Greek. So during that time, you know, when the gospel was going out, because what is it we all hear to the Jew first and also to the Greek? They would often be referred to as Gentiles or Greeks. That's kind of uh, how they explain everything. And now let me ask you, who was more receptive to the gospel, Jews or Greeks? It was definitely Greeks, right? So God gave the New Testament to the people that were receptive and to the people that he was using during that time. That's who he gave his words to, and it was written in Greek. Now, a lot of times people will say, when you know, talking about why the King James is so important and why God chose to preserve it in English, is they'll say it's the most spoken language uh, you know, in the world today. But technically, that's not true. Does anybody know what the most spoken language in the world is today? Yeah, Mandarin Chinese. Okay, So why didn't God preserve it there? I mean, it's about the majority, right? Well, that's kind of what we're saying when we say that that's why God did it in English because more people speak English then, you know, it, but here, no, here's the real thing. Okay. 
Here's why he would have chose English over Mandarin Chinese. What are the Chinese doing with the gospel light that they have? Nothing. Hey, they're not, I mean, when have you ever heard in history about Chinese missionaries evangelizing the world? And there's been some revivals in China in the past. There's been some, you know, there's been some good things. There's, there's saved people over there today. But folks, the Chinese people have never been serious about advancing the gospel in a big way. They've not done anything with the light that they've been given. But you know what? There were some people hundreds of years ago that spoke the English language that took the things of God serious, that took the word of God serious and did everything they could, not just to translate the Bible into English, but to follow the Bible. These were people who went against Rome, who went against the church of Rome, the Catholic church that was controlling everybody, that had a stranglehold on everything during a horrible period of time. And these people, they, did, they wanted to get the Bible in their language. Why? To take power away from the Catholic Church who was lying to their people, selling indulgences. They wanted the plowboy to be able to know as much or more than these bishops and these priests and things that they had. And these people were serious about the Bible. And they, uh, uh, with, by, with great price, with much bloodshed, they, did, they followed the Word of God, they took the little light that they had, and you know what they did? They did something with it. And you know what God did? God blessed them for that. You do something with the little God gives you, you know what God does? He increases it. But you know, the light, here's what we got to understand. The light of the gospel, it did go to the whole world in the first century. And some places did more with it than others. And you know, there's a lot of history we don't know about, that, or we don't know much about, you know, those dark ages. You know, we, we, don't, we don't know a whole lot. We can speculate on a lot of things. But what it comes down to, a few parables will help sum this all up for us. Now, turn over to Luke chapter 12. I need, I need to hurry. I got a lot here I want to try to cover. So many of these parables, people don't understand them because, again, these things are about Israel and about the replacement of Israel that was coming. And so people, they, they've just lost sight of this concept. This is important to understand this. Luke twelve forty one. Then Peter said unto him, Lord... Speak thou this parable to us or even to all. And the Lord said, Who is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men's servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. This parable ultimately was showing how Israel did nothing with what God had given them. They didn't, and God had great expectations of Israel. They were that fig tree that God, Jesus went to and looked to see if there was any fruit on it. And God expected there to be fruit and there wasn't any fruit. And you know what he did? He cursed it and it died, right? Cause there was no fruit. They hadn't done anything that they were supposed to do. And because they did nothing, they lost what they had. So under them were committed the oracles of God. They don't have them today, ladies and gentlemen. They are not being used of God. We see, and, and then 
He ends that parable saying, to whom much is given, much is required. So understand, America has been given a lot. There have been some of the greatest churches probably in history in this country, some of the greatest preachers, and even today, the best preachers that you're going to find anywhere are probably from this country, thundering the Word of God. We have freedom to preach whatever we want in this country. We've got Bibles everywhere. Access to to the Bible is so easy. And if you think God's going to let us get away with doing nothing with it, well, you got another thing coming. God, these blessings that we have, they shouldn't cause us to get lifted up with pride. We shouldn't boast about that. Man, look at all we got in America. No, be not high-minded, but fear. You know what we should do when you can just go into Walmart and find King James Bibles? When you can go into a truck stop and find King James Bibles? You know what you should do? You shouldn't get high-minded. You should fear. Man, we have no excuse. We have no excuse to be where we're at in this country, spiritually speaking, right now. We have no excuse at all. When you, you know, the, the fact that soul winning is as legal as it is in this country, folks, we have no excuse to be in the spiritual mess. That we're, when you look at our history and, and the good things there, when you look at our Constitution and the freedoms that it gives, and to see where we're going in this country, it should scare us to death. It expects us to be reaching more people than China is because we have a lot more than they do. But you've got to understand, too, part of that is because some people actually did something with what was given. And look what it says in Matthew 25, 24. Then he which had received the one talent, this is the parable of the talents, we're not going to read the whole thing. He that received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou, uh, thou hast is thine. I'm not going to read all this. You know it. What did he do? Did he give the one talent to the guy with five or did he give it to the guy with ten? The guy with ten. Okay, now, that would make a Democrat's head explode right there. That's not how that's supposed to work. We should be taking the guy with ten and taking some from him and giving it to the guy with one. Right? Or at least, if you're going to take it from the guy with one, give it to the guy with five so we can you know, level the playing field. Right? No. That, that's, first off, that's not how that works. But here's what you've got to understand, too. Again, This is in Matthew chapter 25, and this is a parable, too, about Israel who was not prepared, who was not ready, who wasted what they had been given, and they were about to lose what they had. And we see that when it came to losing what they had, you know, which are the things of God, the oracles of God, God didn't give it to the guy with five, he gave it to the guy with ten. You know why? Because the most important thing about the gospel is getting people saved. It's about... It's not about who we get saved. It's not about where these people are from that get saved, but it's about getting people saved. And so if there's, a, if there's a church out there getting thousands saved, you know what? God is going to invest more in that church than the church is getting even hundreds saved. Thank God for the church getting hundreds saved. But wait, there's thousands over here. That's a whole lot more important. It's not about making two churches equal. That's not what these things are about. You say, but I, I want to be like that. I want to be like that other church. Well, here's what we've got to do. We've got to take everything that we are given, everything, and use every bit of it. That's what we've got to do. We've got to use what we've been given. And ladies and gentlemen, if we use 
what we've been given, God will multiply it. But if we do not use what we're given, God's going to take it away. And understand these parables and things too, they're about nations. We often use these things and apply them to our life as individuals. And I think you can make application there. You know, we apply them on more personal levels. But so these, the, uh, this is mainly about nations. Now, here's what you got to understand too. Nations who receive truth are responsible to accept that truth. And if they do not accept what they get, why should they receive more? Did you know our community is responsible to accept us when we knock on their door? I mean, what did Jesus say to his disciples when they went and preached? They said, if they won't receive you, shake the dust of your feet up. I mean, they're in trouble. They're cursed. When people hear the gospel, they are responsible to do the right thing and to accept it. And when they don't, they're in trouble. These countries that have these missionaries coming, you know what they should do? They should treat them really good. That, if they were wise, that's what they would do. If they were really wise, they would listen to what they have to say. And then the best thing they could do is then accept it. But if they don't, folks, there's consequences for that. It's like we forget that. When we hear about these stories of, in, in these Muslim countries where they're persecuting and where they're killing Christians, you know, our attitude, and then later we hear about how there's almost no saved people over there and, oh, what about those poor people over there? They don't have any light. Did you forget what they did to the missionaries? Did you forget what they're doing to the Christians over there? Why is God going to give them more? A lot of people are like, well, we need to send missionaries to these countries where, that are super dark where hardly anybody's getting saved. And listen, if the Lord burns you to do that, I'm not, I'm not against that. But you know what? Why can't we send it to places where there's a lot of people getting saved? Shouldn't we go where it's receptive? Isn't that, you know, it, it's not as important that we make every country equally Christian as it is that we just reach as many souls as possible. And it's, 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 a, it's a bad concept to try to do it that way. I, I think we ought to try to go places where it's receptive. And you know what? That's why we spend more of our time going to receptive places. Obviously, here locally, we try to go everywhere. But you know, when we go to other towns farther away, we don't go to the ritzy neighborhoods. We're not going to go to some of these fancy suburbs and go knock the doors there, you know, that are outside our community. If we had a church out there, we would. But you know what? There, there's enough ghettos and things surrounding us that will keep us busy forever. We're going to those first. You know why? Because it's receptive there. They're at least receiving us. They're at least getting saved. So let's keep going there. So, no, uh, so nations that are hostile to the gospel, they're not. Why would they get an equivalent to our King James Bible? And you know what they need to do? They need to do something with what they have. And so, yes, there are countries that have rough translations of the Bible. You know what I think they should do? I think they should use it. I think they should learn everything they can from it. I think they should follow it the best they can. And if enough people start receiving it, if enough people start practicing it, God will see that. You know what God will do? God will raise up somebody to help them get a better translation of that Bible. But we need to understand, God is not obligated to give everyone, every nation, a perfect translation of the Bible. But 
I do believe there always will be somebody, there always will be a nation, there always will be a language that have the Scriptures, that are doing something with those Scriptures, that are preserving those. And folks, I'm not seeing it come from Greek people. I don't see, you know, it, it said it'd be one thing if Greeks were getting, if Greeks were getting more people saved than we were, if they were sending out more missionaries than we were, I'm like, man, they must really be getting something out of that original language. I might try learning some of that and see what they got, but we're not seeing it. it, it it's, it's just not there. If I saw Hebrew people getting the job done more, understanding more, you know, maybe we should learn some Hebrew. But folks, where are we seeing the majority of the light shining, being thundered forth? It's been from English-speaking people. This is the language God has been using for the last 400 years. And you know what? We're not going to boast about it. In fact, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be high-minded. I'm going to fear because we better keep doing something with it Otherwise, you know what God might do? God might say, you know what? You know, I'm going to start using, I'm going to start using the Spanish people. You know what? They, you know, they haven't had as good of translations through the years, but you know what? They're eating up everything that they're getting. I'm going to give them a perfect translation. And you know what? I mean, from what I'm told, that RVG 2010 is really, really good, and it just might be. Right there. I don't, I don't know. I don't speak that language either. But you know what? It almost makes me fear a little bit because it's like, you know what? What if God is going to start mainly using the Spanish-speaking world to evangelize the world? See, we think we're used in America because we've got all the money in this country, and that's why we're able to do all these things. But maybe our country has all the money because we've been the ones doing something with the gospel. You think, And I'm telling you, God has taken down more powerful nations than ours and God can God has used weak nations before and God can do it again and you know what the time if, if the Lord tarries is coming I don't know that it'll be Spanish you know lot, the Philippines there's a lot of really receptive people in the Philippines you know what God might start you know and now fortunately for us English is kind of their language that they all use amongst each other so uh, you know I, I don't know but I'm just saying we're not guaranteed to continue being the people used of God. Because it's also a lot of English-speaking people are the ones leading and trying to get everybody to doubt the Word of God. And fighting, I mean, so many people so hostile to this fantastic gift of a perfectly translated Bible. You know what? I hope the remnant keeps yelling out as loud as they can. Thank God for a perfect Bible. We start taking this for granted. God might say, fine, I gave you guys a perfect Bible. You're not doing anything. You're questioning it. You're going to these perversions of the scriptures. You're denying what the King James Bible says. I'm using another country. And I think what we're seeing in Romans 11 shows that that's exactly how God works. And that's exactly what they could do. And so this message should be a warning to America. If we don't use what we've been given, God's not obligated to use us. And so... God is not obligated to give every nation a perfect Bible like we have. So Ameri- American, American guilty white Christians, we're, you know, they're the ones that get bent out of shape. You know, when, they, when we talk about how much better things are in this country spiritually than other parts of the world. But 
those countries ask for what they've got. And you know what? If said our country, it asked for what it got, you could say, in many ways, in a positive way, because there were some great revivals in this country. But let me tell you, we've been asking for something else for a long time. And eventually we're probably going to get what we asked for. I would like for us to change what we're asking for and repent and have a revival again. And in Matthew 12, 41, I'll close with this. It says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. This is not about individuals. This is about a nation. And Jesus is telling Israel, you should be receiving me. And Nineveh, they're going to rise up in judgment against you because they listened when Jonah came. The backslidden prophet who didn't even like these people, they repented when they heard his preaching. Jesus, the son of God who loved these people, Jonah didn't do any miracles. Jesus doing miracles and they didn't repent at his preaching. You know what? So much more was given to Israel. And so you know what? They lost what they had. And I believe that's why God used the Greek language because the Greeks accepted what they were given and God blessed them and God increased that eventually somewhere along the ways that all fell apart. And you know what? But a a new language rose up a new people and it's been the English speaking people for a long time. And I hope it stays us. I hope it stays the English speaking people until Jesus Christ returns, but we're not guaranteed it. There's no guarantee So let's keep using what we have and God will continue to multiply. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this message uh, was a help that was clear. And Lord, we do thank you so much for uh, what you have given us. And Lord, it is when we stop and think about what has been done for us, uh, it is uh, a very sobering thought. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us not to take these things for granted, but help us to do something with it. Help us to continue just uh, thundering forth the word of God and the gospel, trying to reach as many people as we possibly can. And I pray you'll continue to use us. I pray you'll continue to use this church until your return. In your name we pray. Amen.